then. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Joe Szymanski, and thank you for listening in today with Elections Daily. Uh, this is the start of my Virginia 2021 interview series. And the first candidate we have with me today is one of the Democratic candidates running for the lieutenant governor's nomination. Uh, he is also the president of the Fairfax NAACP, uh, Sean Perryman. Sean, thank you for coming on with me today. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate you having me. And uh, just one correction, I just, as of last night, I am the uh, president emeritus. We just swore in our new executive committee. There were no recounts, no uh, contested elections. So happy to pass the torch along. All right. Great. So first, and this is a question I ask to anyone who talks with me, uh, what made you decide to run in this election? Well, I, you know, this election uh, would probably be the only election that would lead me to this decision. Uh, the, the time that we're in is really the, the reason I'm running. Um, I, as you know, the leader of the NAACP, got to see firsthand how this uh, pandemic impacted so many communities, especially our black and brown communities, wiping out small businesses, uh, obviously people dying. Um, this is the reason that I decided to step up and run. Um, you know, my, my background is I used to work for Congressman Elijah Cummings, and he always instilled in us uh, the importance of the next generation carrying the torch. So it's really the events of this year, you know, from the pandemic to George Floyd's murder to John Lewis passing, all of these things motivated me to uh, want to enter the arena and, and try uh, to run for office. Yeah. And, and you already mentioned that you uh, interned for the late Elijah Cummings, but how, was that your first introduction in the politics or how did you really first get involved into the political scene? Sure. Well, actually, I was counsel. Uh, I was counsel for Elijah Cummings on the oversight committee, so I worked there as uh, counsel for that committee um, uh, after uh, practicing litigation for a number of years. But my first introduction, I would say, to politics was probably my first internship uh, in college, which was for the mayor's office. Uh, it was actually Mayor Bloomberg in New York. Uh, so that was my kind of worked in the office of immigrant affairs and, and worked with that comms team there and doing some policy stuff. And that was my first uh, introduction to, to the world of politics. Okay. So, uh, like we've already said, you now officially used to be the president of the Fairfax uh, NAACP. But how much has your work as the president of the Fairfax NAACP affected how you've viewed public service and not only that, but your own commitment to public service? Yeah, I, I, it had a huge monumental impact uh, on my view of that. Uh, prior to the NAACP, I always tell people, you know, I was politically engaged, but in a lot of ways I was frustrated in the things that were happening and people who were speaking and leading for uh, leading us and not seeing someone who uh, I would say was speaking for me and wasn't my, my viewpoint. And so when I went to the NAACP, um, you know, this organization had been around for 100 years, and I was lucky enough to be become the youngest president of the, the branch, which was around for 102 years at that point. And I, I worked in the community. I grew it from 300 members to 1,300 members in the course of a year and a half. So what the, the impact it had on me was seeing that when we uh, organize and we get people together, that we can bring people along and we can achieve things that we thought were impossible. Right here in uh, Virginia, you know, one of the things they said we would never be able to do, there was a Robert E. Lee High School, and the Fairfax NAACP led the charge under my leadership to change that from Robert E. Lee to John Lewis High School, and we got that done. And we had numerous other successes, so it really informed how I look at organizing and power and politics um, and what we could accomplish. Okay. 
Uh, and this is something you've also already touched on, but the events of this past summer, uh, the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, the, this resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement and the, the talk around reforming the police, the funding police, on all, and all the rhetoric that goes along with that. How much will reforming the police in Virginia be part of your plan if you are elected lieutenant governor? I would say it would be a major policy agenda that I would want to push forward to the statewide level. We're seeing some of those reforms happen already, but we need to see a lot more. And when I talk about this, it's, you know, so much of this rhetoric gets focused on the police. And what we're talking about really is public safety and government. How do we want government to work? So I think anyone can agree, whether you're Republican, Democrat, or other, that you want transparency and accountability in government. That's a basic value that we can all agree to. But when we look at our police forces locally across the nation, we don't see that transparency. We don't see that accountability. So that's where the discussion needs to happen. If we can agree that these two things need to happen at any government service, then we can have a discussion, okay, well, how do we accomplish that? Okay. So uh, changing topics a little bit, uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic has been a hit on campaigns all across the nation. Uh, We saw that in 2020. Uh, We saw it in the results. But how has your campaign been dealing with the limitations that come from working and campaigning with in a pandemic? Yeah, well, you know, uh, I think anyone with, uh, you speak to would tell you it's extremely difficult. This is probably one of the most difficult times to run a campaign uh, because you can't get in front of people. There's not as many events where you can meet folks and let them know what your vision and your message is. In some ways, you're saving uh, some money on gas. You're not going across the state as much as you would, but you are meeting with people virtually, which is a good thing. Um, But um, uh, it it definitely makes it difficult. So, I mean, the way we're dealing with it, uh, we're trying to be nimble. And I think that will, for a campaign for this year especially, the campaign that can adapt to this environment will be the one that can win. And so, you know, we're working remotely. We're looking at our digital presence, and we're thinking, you know, long-term, how do we – Make sure we have a message that's out there and resonates. And a lot of that's going to be digital, but a lot of that's going to be getting creative uh, in our outreach as well. Okay. And kind of and kind of staying on the issue of the pandemic, uh, so many small businesses have been crippled or have had been forced to close uh, in the past nine, past nine months uh, since all of this really kind of kicked into gear. Uh, what are your plans to help these people rebuild their lives in Virginia once the nation is kind of able to move past the horrors that has been this pandemic? Yeah, and it's going to take a lot of lobbying for the federal government from state governments, frankly. Thank you. Uh, thankfully, we have a new administration coming in. But what we need to do is make sure that once we get some funds from the federal government, we need to make sure that small businesses are the ones getting them. That needs access to capital. Uh, I think there should be a focus on especially minority-owned businesses because those have been particularly hard hit. Uh, but then also what I've been frustrated with at the state level is that the guidance has uh, been sort of non-existence in the sense that one week uh, a, a company or a business may be shut down. They have to wait to see what their region is doing. It's been sort of a patchwork uh, approach to this. I think we need to uh, organize both the small businesses and larger businesses give them a set of guidelines that they can work with and make some, you know, stringent uh, requirements of it, but say as long as you follow this, you can stay open and operate. So I think that's, um, there's a, you know, that's part of the approach is getting the money to the to folks and also giving them a set of guidelines that are, uh, you know, something that they can actually work within 
rather than having to, you know, play guesswork from week to week to month to month. Yeah, of course. But uh, now, of course, there is a vaccine. Uh, vaccines are going out across the country starting this week. Uh, but there are still sects of people who are not very confident in the vaccine, whether that's mistrust of vaccines in general or mistrust of public health. Uh, how are you going to try and increase that confidence as a visible public figure? Yeah, that's a great question and something we're working on. On January 7th, that's the tentative date, we'll, we'll confirm that probably later this week, I plan to have a roundtable discussion virtually with leaders across the Commonwealth of Virginia. So as the president of the largest NAACP chapter here in the state, I come from a community that uh, is often skeptical of vaccines and doctors, and rightfully so if you look at the history of uh, what was done to the black community uh, by the medical community here in America. So what we are hoping to do is gather community leaders, this means pastors, this means um, organizations like the NAACP and Latino organizations, as well as elected officials and health professionals, and have a virtual discussion on everything related to vaccines, whether that's, um, you know, what, what's in the vaccine, when do we think the distribution will be, can we trust it, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's, it's going to take uh, leaders like myself who have worked in these communities to sit down and say, look, your skepticism is not, you know, not invalid. We shouldn't be um, dismissive of that. We should talk through it and say why this is different. Um, and that's the only way we're going to approach it because this isn't something that's, you know, out of, uh, you know, off the internet or anything else. These are people that often have uh, that experience that they've been passed down from generation to generation about uh, some of the, the darker parts of our history in America. Yeah. Okay. So I'm moving topics now a little bit. So I'll, many of the candidates for the three statewide races in Virginia, governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general, uh, especially on the Democratic side, are mainly from Northern Virginia. It, the, I'm going to throw out a hypothetical three uh, certificate here of Jennifer Carroll Foy for governor, yourself uh, for lieutenant governor, and Mark Herring as the attorney general, as the nominees of the Democrats. Uh, every candidate then will be from Northern Virginia. Uh, are you are you potentially concerned about that, about that possibility though being a geographical imbalance uh, compared to because you have huge population centers in Virginia Beach, in Richmond in southwest in the Roanoke area are you, are you concerned that maybe the democratic ticket could be too northern virginia focused and how how would you kind of counteract that if a ticket like this would be would be what happens yeah so it's you know i think as long as we're speaking to the issues that's important to rural virginia then that would be the most important thing here's the thing northern virginia if you look at it just fairfax county alone is bigger than 12 states uh, just, just the Fairfax County area. Uh, you add the rest of Northern Virginia. This is a sizable population, so it makes sense that we see so many people running statewide from this area because it is so popular. That said, um, when I look at my campaign and what we're talking about, we're talking about broadband access. We're talking about getting STEM training in Southwest Virginia and um, uh, Hampton Roads area and all over the state, and especially in those areas where we need to start focusing on getting people back to work. Uh, and we're not talking about this from uh, just out of nowhere or no lack of experience. I work in the tech policy sector, and I'm talking about real concrete ideas to get people back to work with, with uh, well-paying jobs that won't saddle them with a lot of debt from uh, you know, student loans or anything else. So I think if we have leaders who are speaking to the issues that affect all Virginians, then we can do that. Um, and 
you know, regardless of who's on the ticket. But I, I do think that we just need to make sure we have a set of folks who are focused on uh, lifting up those voices and speaking to those issues. And what I've personally done is uh, form the steering committee where I have members of my steering committee from Chesterfield, uh, from uh, the vice mayor of Martinsville. We got people from Richmond. We, we are trying to get geographic diversity so that everyone feels that they have a seat at this table and their voice is heard by this campaign. Okay, great. So uh, moving on to another topic, mail-in voting. Uh, that's a topic that has become uh, it's become a very hot topic in recent months and even still in the aftermath of the 2020 election. So I want to know, what's your position on mail-in ballots in Virginia and how, how should the state go about changing the way it votes? Yeah, I think that um, mail-in ballots in Virginia, you know, they're acceptable. The president himself uses mail-in balloting and uh, what I think uh, generally, uh, just as a, a value statement, and this is, informs the way I look at policy as a great voice to voting, we need to provide more access to the ballot, not 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 less. Uh, for the majority of this uh, this time in the country, uh, people were we did not have full access to the ballot for most people. That includes women, that includes black people, that includes uh, anyone who wasn't um, you know uh, part of the majority population of, or not even that, just white men really. So I, I think we need to make sure that uh, we are providing more access to that ballot. What we see more than anything else is not voter fraud. What we see is uh, efforts to disenfranchise folks. We see the 11-hour lines in Georgia. We see uh, other efforts to get people off the roll. So I think mail-in ballot, especially during a pandemic, provides a safe way of voting. Um, there hasn't been enough incidents of voter fraud to even warrant a, a concern about changing that policy. If anything, we need to expand access to, to voting to everyone. Okay. And so I want to I go into this. This is something interesting that I saw you talk about online, I think. Uh, something that you said that you would support uh, primary challenges to moderate Democratic state senators in Virginia. Uh, but if, if, if you, if you, if you become a Lieutenant governor, you would become their boss as you would become the president of the state Senate. Are, are you concerned at all that your statement can make, could make working within the state Senate kind of difficult then as, as state senators are not up for election in 2021, but they wouldn't be up for election until 2023. Well, I think they would argue with you about whether I'm their boss or not, but I, I definitely would be presiding over the Senate. And here's the thing. Um, you know, uh, people get so caught up in party politics and everything else, and they look at Democrat Republicans. Uh, when a you're working with those same Republicans in the state Senate, and when they get a challenger from the left, Democrats support them. Um, if I firmly believe in someone's policies, and this is outside the state Senate, it will have no impact on how I deal with them on the state Senate, and how they uh, get time to speak or anything else. It has, those are two separate things. Uh, if you can support a Democrat running against a Republican, why can't you support a Democratic primary challenger going against a Democrat who doesn't vote with other Democrats? Uh, at the end of the day, we are here to accomplish certain legislative priorities. If someone is not aligned with that, um, I have no problem supporting someone who would be better aligned both with the part of the state that they're from as well as uh, what I believe to be the priorities that are going to help more people here in Virginia. Okay, and then uh, one one final question uh, for you today, Sean. So, what would be the first issue you'd you'd, you'd fight for if you were elected lieutenant governor? What would be kind of the first issue that you'd be going around and getting support for, whipping the votes, and trying to make sure gets to whoever the next governor of Virginia will be their desk? 
Oh, well, you know, it's it's hard to say that uh, a direct answer to that just because um, we are living through so much uncertainty. It depends on how much, how far we are along with the, the vaccine and the economic recovery, and also what happens in this upcoming legislative session, which will be uh, just about a month from now. So, um, if it doesn't get done in this session, I would say uh, my top priority would be legalizing uh, cannabis in an equitable way because I believe this is a way to get people back to work. I believe this is a way to, to uh, keep people out of the criminal justice system. And also, uh, part of that, we would want to expunge the record. So this is a huge like racial justice, economic uh, issue across the board of cannabis legalization. Uh, but if it, if it happens in this session, it would be another priority. I would say right up there with that would be broadband access. Um, you know, we need an infrastructure project that would get people back to work. But this is to prevent what we saw uh, during this pandemic where so many Virginians were left out because they don't have reliable internet. And that means left out from education, from job opportunities, even from healthcare. If you're a rural Virginian and uh, so many hospitals are being shut down in rural Virginia, uh, you don't have access to telehealth. Sometimes you don't have access to healthcare at all. So um, it would either be legalization or broadband access depending on uh, the, the climate that I uh, came into office in. Okay. Well, uh, Sean, I want to thank you very, very much for coming on with me today. Uh, I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. And I also want to thank everyone who will be listening in this in the future. Uh, I am Joe Szymanski. Thank you again for listening to Elections Daily. Uh, Sean, I want to thank you again. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Perryman, he is one of the Democratic candidates for Lieutenant Governor of Virginia. Thank you so much for coming on with me today. Thank you, Joe. I really appreciate it. And your listeners can follow me at perrymanforvirginia.com. All right. Got it, man. Thank you very much. Have a great rest of your day and uh, stay safe in the snowy weather weather that we're experiencing this Wednesday. All right. You take care.